Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an epic-inspired podcast that brings innovation to professional development. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. Uh, So... I'm super stoked about today. Marshall Wade is my guest. Uh, Marshall, I've kind of been wanting to do this since, let's see, I think it was last year where we emerging leaders or the year before where we emerging leaders. Do you remember? Uh, That was year before last, I think. So two years ago, we were going through this program called the emerging leaders and they were talking about all these gears and stuff. And, uh, gear four is like, well, gear five is like personal. I'm squared away. We're, I'm innovating on my own craft, but four had a little bit of a social aspect to it, but it was still like full on game mode. Let's, let's cuss and discuss and get some stuff taken care of. I've wanted to go to gear four with you for two years and we've done it in a couple of other projects, but not here on the podcast. So I am super stoked to have you here today. This is going to be awesome. I've been I have been waiting for this moment for a good long while, so I'm really happy to be here. Well, good. Okay, so Marshall, who are you? How long have you been in the world of education? So I'm Marshall. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm a principal here at Epic. Um, I have been in education in some capacity, or I, I guess formally in education for eight years. Um, I grew up in school. My mom still teaches, my grandmother taught, my great-grandmother taught. Um, That, to me, that kind of informal training and informal experience um, has guided pretty much everything that I've done in the last eight years. So that's how long I've been in and around the game, if you will. I um, have another question for you that is not on here, but based on conversations I was having with Lee Rowland last week. Um, and shoot, it's still February. We're still in black history month. You're a black man. Yes, <laughs> Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Okay. That, that is very true. Um, uh, 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 you said your mother, how old mm-hmm. are you Marshall? Do you, can I ask? You can ask. I am 29 going on what feels like 55 or 60. Cause it's That's cold. Because it's of like, and these years. joints hurt. Oh, okay. And cold. Okay. So, then your mom, it, is, it, did your mom have you late or is she relatively young too? I'm no, 40. No, no, my One. mom is, my mom is, is relatively young still. Okay. Um, she had me, she kind of had an interesting story. She had me pretty young. Um, she was still finishing college or still in college when she had me. Um, and like I said, my grandmother taught, so she had been in and around education. So she, she finished college. Um, I literally was born into school. I mean, well, I guess she, where I'm trying to get, get at is, um, you've got a long line of educators, right? Um, and, and education, uh, especially when it comes to, um, black people, I mean, there was segregation, uh, in the sixties Were was your grandmother or great grandmother teaching during this segregated yeah. time. 
All right, so this is my favorite part. Okay, so, this is not a my, part of our show, just so you know. I, this all came no, up. I, I love it. I want to do it. All right, so my great-grandmother, this is where it kind of starts for me, right? My great-grandmother um, and my family traditionally is from eastern Oklahoma. Okay. In and around Shakota, Eufaula, um, Henrietta, kind of that little area, right? Uh, my great-grandmother in that same area pretty much taught the vast majority of, of black Oklahomans in that area. She was Miss Green to everybody. Um, her name is, is Willie Mae DeBose uh, and Willie Mae Etheridge back then. She was Miss Green to everybody. And I unfortunately, obviously due to, you know, age difference, didn't really get to watch her face to face. But hearing her impact on on the students that she worked with and how everybody in that community, multiple communities in rural Oklahoma, which had been segregated and had been underserved, but watching her take on that call and become Miss Green to hundreds and thousands of people um, was incredible. And it kind of taught me what, what this job is. Um, it also showed me the value truly of of black educators um back then miss green is is who was there and miss green got in and she did her thing beautifully my grandmother um taught begs um she eventually went on and worked in higher ed at rose state um i do not recall many other black female educators at rose state and that's really where I started to see the day-to-day. Um, and that's where I really started to see how students looked at her, you know, to be a person who I, I haven't seen many other Black women in education at this level. Um, and she would always advocate, you know, for students. And watching my mom, just the passion in which she went about this um, has been awesome. So, yeah, it's I have been very fortunate to kind of sit under the leadership of black women in education. And I think especially, especially this month, but every month, because you and I both know that teaching is not a nine month gig. Teaching is a year round gig. We don't celebrate, in my opinion, I don't think we celebrate black women and black men in education enough. No. Uh, Research absolutely shows that, students of all races benefit from having teachers of different races, especially um, students of color benefit from having teachers of color. Last time I checked, and somebody will definitely have to fact check me on this. I might fact check myself on this. Last time I checked, um, under 1% of elementary teachers in any capacity are black males. And that's where I cut my teeth. And it felt back then, but it felt so challenging um, being a black male in education. And it still is. It still is certainly not perfect. So um, anyway, that that big, long thing to say, yeah, I I feel really fortunate to come from that. And had it not been for them, um, I don't know that I would be in education. And I don't know that I would have seen passion play out every day that 
I'm sorry. And I, I know that took a turn, but uh, thank you for sharing with Take me. Take that turn. I'm perfectly <laughs> fine with that turn. It's, I think it's an important one. Seriously. I, it's, I have always wanted to reflect out loud. Man, this is a vulnerable moment. We're going there already. Do it. I've always wanted to reflect out loud to other people about the impact that educators of color have had on my life. Um, it has always meant the world to me um, to be uh, to be taught by people that you know I recognize those faces, and having that representation for me mattered. Um, and it still matters now. So. I don't know. I feel fortunate to be in this spot and I feel fortunate that I had those people in my life growing up. That's thank you. Thank you very You're much. Welcome. Okay. Um, so you chose this topic. As a matter of fact, you chose many, many topics. And I, I already said we're gonna have like a whole series of uh, conversations, but um, you chose this topic, and I kind of merged three of them, um, as you can see in the show notes, and, and we're link in the show notes to the episode so everybody can have access. But um, why do you want to talk about dismantling the education model as it sits? I, I love the functionality of things that I care about. As, as we've already discussed, I care about school. School is really important to me. Um, I want to see school work well for teachers. I want to see school work well for students. Um, and just kind of like we mentioned, watching my mom and grandma teach uh, really showed me that parts of this model, there's some holes there. Parts of the traditional structure has some holes. And uh, getting, in, getting into it myself showed me that why there, while there are some really, you know, powerful, strong aspects with the way we traditionally do education. And this is of, of no shade whatsoever. But while there are some great things about it, there are some things that I believe we're doing just be, because of the sake of routine. I think the big, uh, big jumping off point for me where I, I hadn't really given it a ton of thought until this moment when I was getting my master's degree, um, I couldn't even tell you which specific course it was. I'd have to go back and look through my notes. We, we started watching this clip of school, the way we do school, the way we were all actively doing school in that program, um, you know, in our day-to-day -day jobs. The comparison between school and a literal factory um, and there was a, a picture of a school and a factory and just all, all of the things that were not different in any way whatsoever shook me. And it may not shake everybody, and I understand that, but it shook me. Um, the going in one entrance to the school and going out one entrance absolutely shook me. The going from one stop to another tore me up. The timing, what time we start our days. And I know there's a lot of research that indicates certain grade levels respond better to certain But we don't do times. that. We don't follow that research. Right, right, right. It, it, sometimes I think that research is can be convenient at best, yeah. you know, but um, it, that really, that did a number to me because I was in it. I did it. And that's what I grew up with. 
that's what I saw. That's what I watched every day. And it, it was very revealing, definitely, to see that that happened. It was almost, um, it was a little bit affirmation of what I had started to kind of think about school. Um, but I hadn't really seen, I hadn't seen it play out on a video clip, a, a five minute video clip, yeah. the way that I did then. It, there was, I had a guest on a couple of weeks back, uh, Scott Hazelwood, and he and I have cussed and discussed uh, this industrial model, this this setup of um, the, the calendar based on agriculture and, right. um, you know, all these things. And so uh, this is definitely when you when you said this when I was like, oh, yeah. We got to talk about that. And for what it's worth, I've invited uh, Ben Harris to do a follow up episode as well. And so that should be fun. But let's let's talk about like some of the things that you think of um, just spitball. What are some things that you can think of that keep us stuck in this education model? I think sometimes um, I think sometimes we have a mentality of we went through it. Right. As as decision makers, as movers and shakers and, and people that are doing this day to day, we went through this traditional model for the most part. We went in the, the single door to the factory and we walked out that single door to the factory. And we and this is the key part to me. We graduated. We did fine. What what if the goal is not necessarily graduation? What if the finish line is different? What if the, the landmarks along the way don't look the same for everybody else? What if the uh, one room to another room with another room sprinkled in there, what if that isn't everyone's best setup? It, it's not just good because we did it and simply survived. Uh, what if anything else was that way where the indicator of success is, okay, we survived. What if other things were like that? We would be really unhappy with simply surviving. Yeah. But I, I care about school too much to be okay with simply surviving. Now, that's Marshall, did that's you know terrible. I did not survive that traditional okay. setup? Okay. I'm a high school dropout. Gotcha. Um, it, it did not work for me the way it was set up. And, and yeah. I, going through that traditional approach, was one of those kiddos who slipped through the cracks and mislabeled, misidentified, all kinds of things. Um, right. or maybe those, those, you know, indicators didn't exist or whatever, but, um, I did not fare well in, in this model. And so, um, and I've said it before, I don't know how often you listen, but, uh, I was a paraprofessional because I'm a high school dropout. Right. And I, Got you. Yeah, um, yeah. and I'm sitting in, uh, this teacher's class and I'm watching her differentiate her math instruction in real time. And I was right. blown away. And, um, I'm a 20 something year old adult. And for the first time I understand fractions and adding and subtracting and multiplying and dividing fractions for the first time. I yeah. felt that Marshall and that teacher was Jennifer Lake who okay. is with Epic I now. That yeah. Well, um, anyway, uh, and so I went back to school based on the way she was educating people and thinking there's gotta be a different way to do this. I, right. I went back to school to find a totally different approach to educating kids. And as I was doing it, uh, I mean, I remember, um, 
I dressed up in a, a, a super formal. I mean, floor length, uh, strapless formal. You were uh, ready. <laughs> and I ready. held the Academy Awards of Figurative Language <laughs> for my fifth graders. And uh, my acceptance speech had all kinds of different figurative language in it. And you then were ready for from that. then I said, you know what? We've got all these different songs. And it was like The Rose by Bette Midler, The River by um, Garth Brooks, uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Uh, there were just all these different songs that I had chosen that demonstrate figurative language. The kids dissected it. Then they created their own acceptance speeches with that figurative language. And I just thought, that was a fun way to bring education to life. And I remember yep. that the gal across the hall was like, oh, honey, you won't do that for long or you're going to burn out really quick. And I just thought, you make more money than me because you've been here longer. And yeah. who's doing the job better? You know, who's who's bringing real life and relevance to these kiddos? So, But, you know, Aaron, I, what's interesting about that story is the familiarity and that I, I don't like to speak generalities. I don't like to put everybody in the same box. I, know. I feel semi comfortable in saying many of us got into teaching because of another teacher or principal or family member or whatever, who we looked up to and we saw that they were doing, you know, incredible work. And we were impressed by that incredible work and we were inspired to do that themselves. But I, I would venture to say that part of the reason we were really impressed by and inspired by that incredible work was because it was in some way innovative. I don't think we got into, I don't think many people get into education um, to do something the same way as someone, as someone else. So what I think is really interesting about that across the hall teacher is that happens so often where you come in ready to innovate because you have been inspired by innovators. Those who clearly held on long enough to pique your interest, um, you're inspired by innovators and then something happens. And I think the important thing is to figure out what the something is and to call that something out for what it really is. And I think that's a, another part of the reason why I kind of wondered, could it be the system itself? If we were ready to innovate before we got in and we got into the room and suddenly or systematically that was gone, how? How did that happen? That's the part that I'm really interested in. And I think that's the part where teachers are the best people on planet Earth to me. I, I love me a teacher, right? I think that teachers always have that in them, always have that inspiration where Hey, I saw somebody really innovate a while back. And, you know, when I, when I see something great, I want to take it and work it with my kids. Okay, well, let's, let's talk broad scale innovation. Let's do something big and make that happen. But how I do love you, your story. Thank you. Um, and, and that's probably the systematic approach is where we get lost in it. Um, I mean, yeah. you and I work for a school that there is no school. There are zero uh -huh. schools across the nation right now that are operating like this school. One of one. <laughs> right. And so when you talk about being in a classroom with 35 kids, like, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I get the other side. How do you individualize when you're sitting 
for what it's worth, I think if I were thrown back into the regular brick and mortar classroom today, I could still do what we're doing here mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on my experience here. But mm-hmm. how do you teach how to do what we're doing? How do you, how do you, anyway, that's, that's a, re- a rhetorical question because we've got an agenda we got to stick with. But, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah. it's an important topic because I, look at where we're at. I mean, we're, we're going to have to figure out a way to do this at a different scale. And you brought up a good point. Like if you feel like if you could go back or if you did go back to another setting today, you could implement some of this stuff. I think that's phenomenal. I mean, I think I will take some innovation. I will take some progressive thinking that, and that progressive thinking and that innovation has room to grow. I'll take that over the story that you were telling about getting in and being told, uh, give, give it a couple of years, kid. We'll see how it works then. You know? Yeah. I got you though. So we've got, uh, just in, in things that keep us stuck in our approach, uh, the calendar we've talked yeah. about, um, you know, fear of the unknown a little bit, but, uh, mm-hmm. the, the decision makers went through it. We've got teacher pay. Mm-hmm. We've got, mm-hmm curriculum choice. We've got push to university. What other things, um, in in your opinion, hold us where we are? All right. So it's going to get a little bit spicy real quick. People that are around me know when it's this spicy way time, it's spicy way time. Okay. (laughs) Um, a couple things. First one maybe is, is less spicy. Um, I think sometimes there can be kind of a one size fits all homogenized finish line. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the Great, we graduated. That was surviving. Did we all survive? I mean, maybe we did, you know, maybe not. Maybe it looked different. But I think that that homogenized, everything looks the same, one size fits all finish line holds us back. And I think sometimes we can be afraid of truly pushing it and truly trying some kind of different model that could work differently or better for some. And I think, and this is where it gets real spicy, I think that all those things that we've, you know, mentioned, decision makers went through it finish line, uh, teacher pay, stuff like that. I think to some extent there is a desire to hold on to power and there's a desire to hold on to the norm. And, um, I'm not a, I, I want to try to see the best in people and in institutions, but I mean, after something shows itself over and over and over again, you kind of do have to question is there just a, a desire to keep stuff the same because that, that makes somebody feel better or that keeps somebody in a spot where, you know, everybody else is having to just kind of roll with the punches. Who is this really about? Is this really about um, students? Is this really about their growth? Is it really about them thriving rather than uh, simply surviving? Or is this about somebody else feeling comfortable? Is this about somebody else feeling um secure or or whatever else. I hope that we're approaching this thinking, no, this is 100% unequivocally about the lives of our students and our teachers. And I I don't want that to get lost in this whole thing. Um, I, I saw how this played out growing up with the teacher. This innovation, I would venture to say is just as much for the kids as it is for the teachers. These are, these are seasoned pros. These are the the best humans, as I've mentioned. Um, I I really think that 
somewhere along the line, there's just this drive to keep it the way it is because somebody somewhere is really comfortable with it. Well, and, and so, I mean, it's even a gripe that I've had here, you know, um, because I mean, it used to be the wild west around here. It felt like, (laughs) you know, um, it was teachers were doing what they knew were right by the kids and, and all these different approaches. And, and it was beautiful and busy and chaotic. And I think we've traded some of that busy for a different type of busy, Um, but the word scalable comes to mind. And so when we were a school of 1100 kids, it was a little bit easier to look at the statistics and see that, um, you know, we're, we're trying to do this and this and this, but then when you start adding students and adding teachers and adding layers of administration, which, I mean, we became the largest school district probably too fast, um, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, because how do you find trends or forecast, um, for, for 60% to 110% growth each year. But, um, but at a certain level, and I'm, I'm thinking globally and nationally here, uh, not Mm -hmm. just statewide, how do you keep track of it all? Um, and, and so that's when I say, you've got to kind of say, you know, numbers be damned, you know, you, you've got to, I mean, you can't, I mean, I know that that that's never going to happen. Um, but, but this, there's a thing, there's something to that. Okay. So I'm going to go, as you're saying that there was this quote that we used last week, I had a, a meeting with my group, um, and it talked about qualitative growth and it just, it messed me, it messed me all the way up. And kind of what I'm hearing, especially in this scalable venture that we're working with, we have to be able to align with something that's, yeah, quantitative, but also qualitative by nature. And kind of like you're saying with the data, at a certain extent, we have to use it to, to you know, make certain points and to, to track our kids and all that other stuff. But we have to be qualitative in nature. I'm going to go look that up as you're finishing okay, up. Okay, so it's one of the parents at the school put out an article the other day that said, you know, with online learning is coming this wave of depression. And I just thought, no, um, that's the loss of normal. I mean, honestly. And, and so part of what you're saying here is the nor- the normalcy that we've created around the way we've always done it. It's comfortable. It's, uh, you know, we can't change the entire world all at once. But basically, I mean, you and I have been in this business for long enough, and um, and I'm talking about Epic, not just education, that we can see our kids are not depressed. What their depression is stemming from is normal. Uh, they've they've tragically and and suddenly lost their everyday routine, and right. operating outside of normal is ridiculously hard. And I believe that's what's causing depression, not online learning. So, okay, going back to that qualitative growth thing, I think this speaks to what you were just saying. Uh, Here's just something that I found that it just, man, I loved it. Let's define, it starts here. Let's define growth as that which enhances life, as generation and regeneration, and declare that what our planet most needs more of it. This notion of growth which enhances life is what we mean by qualitative growth, growth that enhances the quality of life just messed me up. Like I want to print it. 
and put it everywhere and send it to everybody that I know. That to me is is the thing that we have to use as our guidepost, right? Is is this growth enhancing life? And I think sometimes we get away from that because we can't really tell if it's enhancing life. Or, well, and how can you compare to South Korea and Japan and China and uh, yeah. you know Indonesia whenever you are going by growth and not by where the marker needs to fall? Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I think that's that is a challenge, but. One of the things that to me means a lot when we talk about innovative practices or going from a place where there may not be much innovation there, or may not be much progress, I think the key has to be know your people, right? Um, communicate with your people and help determine, help flesh out what their needs truly are. Um I think that has to be the starting point. I'd venture to say that in some of those other um, some of those other countries and other systems that you've talked about has to be one of the starting points there too is really isolating who are our students, who are our teachers, what are their needs, and constantly flowing on that over and over. Who are our students, who are our teachers, what do they need? You know, I think um, if there's anything that this pandemic has taught us is that we have adaptability. You know, mm-hmm. I think we learned pretty quickly that the world wasn't where it needed to be, digitally speaking, um, but it kind of forced us all to move in this direction, and we're probably not exactly where we still need to be yet. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the cat video, the cat filter. I am not a cat. I am not a cat, <laughs> but I'm I can still proceed. <laughs> that poor guy. Right. He did not expect that. He he fully was just trying to state his position on the fact that he is not a cat. And here he is. He is a cat globally now. He will never not be a cat, that poor fellow. You know, and I saw that this five minute um video about the girl who's got the face where she goes, mm, mm. You know, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, She's yeah, memeable. Yeah. The kombucha girl. Kombucha, yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. I love that so video. there was a whole five minute video about her. You know, she's got her master's degree. She's a really mm-hmm. smart woman. She lost her mm-hmm. job, a very high level job, oh because gosh. of this okay. meme. So it makes oh. me wonder what what is the outcome for this poor guy whenever it yeah. comes down to it. But that's poor not guy. for us to discuss right now. Um, <laughs> another podcast. Another totally, guy. totally. So we're, like I said, 10 years into this normal um, and trying to improve. How do we do this more broadly? I mean, and and we've taken, we've taken education and we've changed almost every facet of it. I mean, we are still teaching. We are still using curriculum and standards, but we allow the choice of that curriculum and we allow choice of teacher and we allow like so many facets of reform. How do you do this on a more broad scale without completely wrecking education? Yeah. So number one, this may be a personal thing for me. I think in some ways you kind of have to, those that are helping initiate some of the process behind moving into something that's a little bit more innovative or whatever else. um, I think you have to adopt a mentality of servant leadership. Number one, I think you have to be willing to start with that. And, and really get into some of those uh, 10 characteristics of servant leadership, you know, as said by uh, Greenleaf. I, I always mess Greenleaf and Greenleaf. Greenleaf. 
um, some of those those characteristics of servant leadership and really getting into what kind of le- leader you are and what kind of leadership team you want to have in your group, I think has to be really important. But going on from there, like I mentioned earlier, you have to know and trust your people. You have to be secure enough to look at your group, whatever that group is, look at your group and ask, hoping for honest feedback, what are your needs? What are our needs? Um, some of the most innovative and just downright cool practices I've seen come from schools and districts and states and whatever that want to do that. One that really jumps out is just school like in Idaho or something like that, um, where the governing body of the school, and I think it's just high school, the governing body of the school um, are high school students. So they it's not even just like they have a, a little baby seat at the table. Like they just kind of sit there and they pass out agendas. No, they make decisions for the school. There is maybe one adult on that governing body. And I think that one adult's purpose is, okay, here's what some of our state requirements are. Everything else, those high schoolers align themselves to what those requirements are. They have the capability, which tells me, Talk to your people. These kids, these teachers, are, are they know what they need, and they're ready to lead. So I think that has to be. I think that has to be first to just kind of get away from the normal, improve and and break into something that's a little bit has some intrinsic value for some of those folks you're working with. Um, wow. First of all, have you heard? It's crazy. I know. Have so you heard cool. of Genius Hour or Passion Projects? I feel like I've heard of passion projects. Okay. So but do tell. I do feel like that's what my driving force was behind becoming an educator and then even going back and getting my uh, you know, graduate degree and, and and I'm thinking about PhD, you know, like um I know. It 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 may never happen. Um, especially I think a PhD in education is probably one of the, the least valued PhDs at the end of it all. So I don't know what I'd be doing. But um gotcha. but education was what drove me finding a new way to do it was my passion project and I poured everything everything into figuring out how to do this differently or better or um, get each kid individually and so um, when it comes to your governing board up in Idaho or whatever like Mm -hmm. this may be their passion this may be their thing and do you think that venturing down the road of passion education or what I'm into right now, um, and, and I know people change, you know, what I'm into in high school is not what I'm into right now, but um, do you think that there's something to finding a way to micro-credential versus here's your stamp it high school diploma, here's your stamp it yeah. undergraduate degree? Is there a way to micro-credential so that people can become the masters of their little domain. Right. I do not use algebra. I don't. I I think that when you look at it from the opposite end, that there's somebody somewhere saying, here are all the things that you need to know. Stamp, boom. Uh, To me, that's kind of odd, right? Um, Especially as you get 
as you get younger, as you look at younger groups of students. Um, yeah, I, I get what you mean where, yeah, sure, leanings change and, and you decide that you want to try different things. But um, it is weird that, I don't know, somebody somewhere is saying, here's the thing that you need to make happen. Uh, young people are still people. Um, kids are, are growing people. And they have things that they want to accomplish. They have things that they're into. And I think sometimes, and I don't mean to be overly critical of education, but also I totally mean to be overly critical of education. I think sometimes we um, want for people to lose themselves in this and not find pieces of themselves in this arena where they're going to spend years and years of their lives, you know, yeah. whether that's a student that's going from K through 12 or, and I, I do not want for teachers to get lost in all this conversation about innovation. Cause sometimes I feel like we talk about students, we talk about district and administration and all that, but we forget teachers. Right. Okay. I think that's the critical piece. Teachers are, are passionate professionals too where I wish they, you know, generally, and, and all of us as educators are able to get a little bit more in depth with some of our passions and make some of our passions a part of our day-to-day. I think, shoot, even in, I think in, in undergrad, I didn't get it. In mm-hmm. grad school, I got it. And it was about hoop jumping, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There were so many things that I was doing because somebody said that this is the class you have to take for this, this, this. And I was like, but that's not even my education model. That's not even what I'm doing. Like there were so many things that um, I had to do because it was a hoop that I had to jump through. Do you think that there's something to that also like teaching kids to jump through hoops? I mean, is, is that the industrial model that we're still trying to hold on to? I mean, we, we know, we know how many times have you heard the, the, the children we're teaching today, their jobs aren't even invented yet. Or how many times <laughs> right. have you heard we've got to embrace for 20 century, 21st century learning, bro, right. we're 22 years into 21st century learning. We've been here. We've right. We've been here for a minute. And we're still doing the same darn thing. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I mean, I, I think that at the very least, whatever whatever group we are charged with serving, whatever that is, teachers and students, principals and teachers, whatever, whatever group we are charged with serving, um, and I guess this goes back to the servant leadership model, uh, I hope that our goal at the end of the day is to encourage people to be the absolute best version of themselves through finding themselves. Uh, And I think that has to be a critical piece to this. And I think part of the walk in one room, walk out loses that because if it is a factory, if it is an industry is the purpose of factory and the purpose of industries to make a whole bunch of different things, or is it to produce a whole bunch of the same thing? Boom. I, I am not, um, I don't moonlight as a industry guy. I, I don't go work in a factory on, on my spare time, but my understanding is that 
you make the same thing over and over and over and over and over again so that you can depend on the consistency. But let's That's talk the, about factories. How many factories? I mean, like Ford doesn't even have factories anymore in place. You know what I'm saying? Like but, they've gone yeah. away from that model. Why are we still in it? Thank you. So Aaron, this is this is definitely a thing where some some of these companies now I really think in this education sphere we have to start having conversations with people outside of education but it's totally a thing to start to see um, other types of industry other disciplines that are traditionally walk in walk out traditionally um, you know conveyor belt do this thing and then go do another thing are saying that that's that doesn't serve their purposes right now. And those are companies, I mean, I, I can't imagine if you walked in a Ford today uh, that they would say, you know, we really don't have any interest in um, setting up innovative practices for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I think they're probably really trying super hard to do that. And I'm sure that there are schools, there are plenty of schools, I, I know some, for sure, that are trying to do some work for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But I think generally speaking, that's kind of the problem is, are we looking at, you know, generations at a time? Or again, are we looking at four years at a time? Are right. we looking at, I got to recreate from ninth to 10th to 11th to 12th? So I've already said I'm considering PhD. Are right you considering PhD? And if you are, what is that enduring question? What is going to drive you? What are you looking at? Yeah, so I just very, very recently, super recently started um, an EDD program. Okay. Um, I opted to go that route rather than PhD route. And I, I'm loving it so far. I mean, I just, I'm in a really good place where, you know, those folks are very interested in, asking those tough questions of servant leadership, asking those tough questions of um, what of the traditional model is working and not working. So I just started that process recently. Um, I'm excited. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And just to get to the enduring question, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about as a dissertation topic. Um, so I'm, I'm landing somewhere around innovative practices for struggling schools and for marginalized communities. I'm, I'm kind of in that neighborhood somewhere because wow. I, I think another place that this whole innovative practices thing can go is if we're not careful, I'm worried that innovative practices will only be for the privileged. And I'm not interested in that. I, I mean, I, that's great, but I, I want for innovative practices to be for everyone. Yes. I, I think that every person should feel like they can become them, their best selves in school. I think every person should be able to do that. And I think that requires some innovation. And I, I do not want for our um, students of color, I don't want for students uh, in other marginalized communities, I don't want for, uh, I don't want for anybody to get lost. Um, I don't want for anyone to be told that, hey, this, this thing needs to be you know, the way that you're doing it. I want for, I want for our kids to feel empowered. I want for our, our young ladies to feel empowered. I want for our young men to feel empowered. I, that's just the goal. And I think that that looks different for different communities. So 
That's something I'm thinking about. That's awesome. And that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit the like button or subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified each time a new episode drops. If you're a returning listener, you should definitely rate the podcast, uh, especially on iTunes, the Apple podcast. Go there now. Uh, Leave us a comment. Tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.